0: The reading is from Ezekiel, chapter 36, on page 868 in the Church Bibles. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, Which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God.
1: The second reading is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, um, chapter 12, which is on page 1139. Paul to the Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord.
2: You might like to turn back to the first reading, uh, Ezekiel 36, uh, and it's still on page 868 uh, in the Church Bibles. Let's, as we do that, pray that the living God would speak to each one of us this morning. Some of us have heard a great deal about the Holy Spirit. Some of us, uh, it's still all very new. Let's pray, whoever we are and wherever we're at, that God would speak to us as individuals as well as a church. Father, we thank you again so much this morning for... The scriptures. We thank you that they have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you desire for your name to be held in honor amongst us, for you are holy. And we pray this morning, Lord God, that by that same Spirit you would speak. And do whatever you want to amongst us. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's really so good to be back here at St. Michael's and to see you all in such good form. Some old friends I've already recognized. I have many, many happy memories of uh, this place. Uh, I first visited here uh, when there were pews back in the days of uh, Teddy Saunders and there was a young fellow called Jeremy Crossley who uh, was the curate here. Anybody remember these? Oh, there are. Yeah, well, good. Yeah, difficult to forget. Um, and then also, of course, David Pryor and you've already heard our very good friends Charles and Tricia Marner. My other memory of you is how you delight to tackle fairly big and difficult subjects. Maybe it's just when I've been invited here, but I was thrilled to see you were doing a whole series with the strapline, What About? However, I, I did somewhat gulp when I saw that I'd been asked to speak about, what about the Holy Spirit? I mean, talk about a big subject. Well, at least I have the evening service as well to say a little more. But I wonder if, speaking of memories, whether any of you recognize this person. I think he's the sort of face that registers, but perhaps the name escapes your lip. He was called Christian Barna, a South African doctor who gained worldwide fame in December 1967 uh, as the first to do a heart transplant operation. But you know, thousands of years before that, God was promising to do the same thing and uh, Let's turn to the Bible and remind ourselves particularly uh, from verse 26 of that first reading where God says to his people because he's holy because he's concerned for his reputation in a world that is full of idolatry he is going to do a heart transplant. I will give you a new heart And put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you. Your heart of stone. And I will give you. A heart of flesh. And I will put. My spirit. In you. And move you. From within as it were. To follow my decrees. Now. Of course. As part of. The Godhead, the Holy Spirit, had been around since the beginning. He was there involved in creation. And so it's not surprising to see, right in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the first chapter, the first couple of verses, there is the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. And then it was through the Holy Spirit that we became human that human beings were created, Genesis 2 and first 2, it was the Holy Spirit being breathed into the dust creation that made us a living creature. But it seems that the way the Holy Spirit worked throughout the first part of the uh, Old Covenant was that he came to particular people at special times to do specific tasks for God. And there are some lovely and interesting examples. So Bezalel, for example, not a particularly common name even today, uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit for craftsmanship. It's good to know that God is really concerned about crafts, about music, about art poetry his spirit is behind all of that the spirit was given to Samson to give him supernatural strength the spirit came to a non-impressive chap called Gideon but equipped him for leadership for God's people And so it goes on. People like Isaiah and here Ezekiel anointed in the Holy Spirit for prophesying God's truth to people. But what is made clear is that God saw that despite his spirit at work, despite these gifted individuals the great majority of people, even those who he had chosen, even those who had a heart for him, were not capable, seemed unable to obey and follow his commands. They kept lapsing back into rebellion and to sin, and that's the story of the old covenant, isn't it? God giving anointed individuals Rescue being mounted, and then the people turning away until someone else was sent and the people come back and repent. So, God, rather than abandon His creation, rather than turn His back on His people, promised to do a new thing. He would give His spirit to individuals, to everybody who turned and trusted him he promised through his prophets Ezekiel here but not just Ezekiel also through Jeremiah and Joel that he would come by his spirit and give that spirit to all who trusted him not for their sake but for the honour and holiness of his name the law was good and still is good. It reveals how we should behave. So the Ten Commandments are still a wonderful model for us. But actually, good as they are, they don't help us to change. Sometimes they just reveal to us our failure. As the old doggerel puts it, the law commands, but condemnation brings. The Spirit bids me fly and gives me wings. And God wanted to give his Spirit to his people so that they would not only know his law, but want to obey his law and be able to obey, to to follow his ways, to do what he asked. What a wonderful promise. God's Holy Spirit actually inside all who believe to help them in their desire to follow him. But it wasn't until the coming of Jesus that that promise began to take shape. So John the Baptist, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the greatest Jesus identified him as, pointed to Jesus and spoke of him in two ways, particularly the one we're most familiar with is the one who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. But John also pointed to Jesus and and said, I I baptize with water, but this one is going to baptize with Holy Spirit. So John identifies Jesus in two ways, the sin bearer, And the spirit baptizer. Do you know Jesus as both of those? Jesus himself confirms this. His ministry is a ministry in the Holy Spirit. He teaches and heals in the power of that spirit. He tells his followers that it's better for him to leave because then and only then will they be able to experience the advocate themselves, having, as it were, Jesus with them wherever they are geographically to do what he asked them to do. And Jesus goes on to teach a great deal about the work of the Spirit before his death. And after his resurrection, you remember, he tells his followers to go back to Jerusalem and and wait until they receive the Holy Spirit. And then, and only then, will they be able to go out and be the witnesses that God longs them to be, and that they will want to be. And as we know, back they go, they pray away, and the great feast of Pentecost happens, and all heaven breaks loose. And the crowds gather, and somewhat surprised by all that's going on, Peter gets up and preaches... And he explains to them, look, this is not something to be worried about or afraid of. They haven't had too much to drink. This is what God has promised. And he actually quotes one of the prophets, Joel, where the prophet said that God would pour out his spirit on all who believe. And Peter says, that which is promised is happening. This is it. And so... The church was founded and has been ministering and expanding ever since through the power of the Spirit, seeking to lift up the holy name of God. It is a remarkable story. Do you realize in 1910 there were, throughout the world, 610 million Christians? According to the latest statistics I have, there are now 2.3 billion Christians. That's almost a third of the world's population. And the church is growing daily in South America, in Africa, in Asia. In China, the growth is phenomenal under persecution. Only in our secular West are things relatively stagnant. But even so, we have the extraordinary privilege of living in the days when God promises his Holy Spirit to all who believe, to anyone who trusts Jesus. Have you grasped this? Only the Holy Spirit can convict us of sin. Only the Holy Spirit can bring us To trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Such a radical change that the Bible calls it a new birth. But when we are brought to that step of faith, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us experience, who pours out the love of God into our hearts. Romans 5 verse 1. And who then begins his work of transformation, bringing his gifts... And his fruit, producing Christ-likeness in us. If you have trusted Jesus this morning, then that means that he has given you his Holy Spirit. God has done his heart transplant in you. He's taken out your heart of stone. And given you a heart of flesh, his spirit, to help you obey him. Of course, you and I still fail. The flesh is weak. We give in. We disobey. But our heart's desire is to follow Jesus. Well, what is our part? And the answer lies in our second reading from Romans 12, and you might like to turn to that, Romans 12, page 1139. The Apostle Paul has been outlining the gospel of grace, of all that Jesus has done for us in the first chapters of this wonderful letter, how Jesus coming and dying for us has set us free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And so, here in chapter 12, he's asking for our response. He's begging us. Therefore, he says, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy And pleasing to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The apostle is realistic about the pressure to conform to the society around us. That hasn't changed in thousands of years. Things have progressed enormously, but the pressure to conform is still enormous. I'm sure you, like me, must feel that pressure. Maybe you'll feel it this this Monday. It's okay on Sunday here with friends, in fellowship with other believers, but then you're back with colleagues at work. Friends, even family, who don't accept your ideas, who adopt attitudes and expectations. And the pressure to take those on yourself is enormous. And you hear the words, you don't really believe that, do you? Very difficult to resist. And, in fact, we don't have the strength ourselves to resist those pressures. So the question is, what kind of Christian are you going to be? Are you going to be a chameleon Christian or a chrysalis Christian? Back to the chameleon first. I'm not a botanist, but as I understand it, this creature is an interesting one. It changes on the outside according to its circumstances so a delightful green amongst the foliage hits the cornfield and it goes yellow comes across the path and rocks and it goes a shade of grey and the sad truth is there are plenty of chameleon Christians those who in church know what to do they stand and sit and bow like the rest of the congregation. They sing the hymns. They may even know the words of the creed. They give generously. But then they're back in the rat race and they shout at their employees just like everybody else. They massage their expenses. They cut corners. They gossip at the school gate. They push their children to achieve as much as their neighbour. Are you in danger of conforming to being a chameleon Christian? Well, rather be a chrysalis Christian. And again, as I understand it, the chrysalis is not a particularly striking thing. It turns, though, into a beautiful butterfly not by its own efforts not by yes I must, yes I must yes I will but by what is within so I hope the analogy is obvious you will never be a chrysalis Christian on your own efforts you will never be a chrysalis Christian in your own strength only the Holy Spirit can do that but he longs to do that if you will allow him to transform you from within. As we've heard, uh, the Spirit is already in you if you're trusting Jesus. He's made you part of the body of Christ and given you these different gifts, some of which are outlined here. It's not a complete list. There are other gifts referred to in other parts of Scriptures and even those aren't exhaustive. But here, this morning, here again, you are at St. Michael's because God wants you here, and he wants you to be part of this body. To use your gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, for the church. Now, we tend to get hung up on some of the more spectacular gifts, like prophecy here, verse 6, a wonderful gift. Or speaking in tongues. But all the gifts are from God, Surely any gift from God is not to be ignored. Look at some of the others. Do you have a heart for service? Verse 7. Praise God for those with a heart for service. You just want to serve as needed. The church needs you. Thank God for it. But use it. What about the gift of encouragement? Verse 8. We live in a world full of discouragement. And in the world today, there's a lot to be discouraged about. So don't let's bring that into God's body. Whatever we do, leaders, administrators, servers, prophets, worship leaders, we all need encouragement. That is a gift. It's a gift that all of us can exercise. Will you exercise that gift? Many of us think encouraging thoughts. Few of us actually turn those into encouraging actions. To share that scripture. To send that email. To write that letter. I want to encourage you at St. Michael's this morning... To allow the Holy Spirit to work through you as God intended. To be chrysalis Christians. Who don't just know the Bible references about the Holy Spirit. But who allow that Spirit to soften your hearts and to change you from the inside. So that you give His power. So that you know His power so that you use his power to resist the pressure to conform through the renewing of your minds and through the equipping and using of the gifts that he gives. That's why we need to keep coming back to God and to be filled again with his Holy Spirit. It's not a once and for all thing, as you've heard. Even if you recognize Christian Barnard I I doubt if you'll know this fellow that's coming up. His name was Louis Washkansky. He was the guy who received the first heart transplant. Although he was promised it had an 80% chance of success he only survived 18 days. But God's heart transplant lasts beyond death for eternity. We need to keep coming back to him to be renewed by his spirit, but he longs to do that and keep filling us with his spirit. So here's what I suggest. I'm going to pray for us in a moment using the thoughts of of this passage in Romans 12. Are you willing to be a living sacrifice for God? Well, if you feel this morning wanting to answer that, none of us will feel able, but wanting to do that, well, we need the Spirit. And I'm going to pray a general prayer. I'd encourage you in your heart, and the quietness of your mind, to cry out to God for a fresh, touch of his spirit to help you to continue his work in you from the inside will you do that here's the prayer let's pray